0: Tennis Vans and welcome to another Edition. Of Matchpoint Canada, I'm Ben Lewis, joined alongside Mike McIntyre. You can follow us on Twitter at Matchpoint Can. We are the official podcast of Tennis Canada, also members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And this week is a profile episode on one of the top Canadian coaches in our sport today. He's engaging, philosophical, introspective, energetic, and really just a terrific listen all around. And Mike, you had the privilege of uh, speaking with. Him. This week,
1: yeah, Rob Steckley, a uh, former coach of, uh, among other players, obviously Dennis Shapovalov here in Canada. Great conversation with, uh, with Rob. It was real, there was no pretense, no unnecessary comments. Uh, he's certainly not trying to pump his own tires. It was uh, free of any BS to put it uh, any other way, to be honest with you. And um, I I felt like I could have talked with him for hours on end without it feeling like more than a 20-minute kind of conversation. Um, So very easygoing and free-flowing and someone that uh, we'll definitely have to have back on with us at some point in the future. And, uh, Ben, I understand, well, unfortunately, you know, you couldn't be on the line at the same time as you and I are social distancing from each other and the rest of the world. Um, And we're kind of having to take one interview at a time, um, each of us individually. I, I understand you've got a bit of a, a Rob Steckley uh story or, or connection from uh uh from back in the day.
0: Yeah, from my uh, playing days uh, back when I was still playing in Kingston and this I, I believe this was either 2008 or 2009 uh, that like a group of us from Kingston uh, a few different years actually took a trip down to uh, Canada uh, just outside of Ottawa to play an open level tournament there, which was actually called the Coonstadt Open now that I'm remembering and uh, Rob Steckley at the time was the number one seed in the event and I'm quite certain he won the title Uh, one of these years we went down and, uh, my friend at the time who was, uh, in in my mind, a very good tennis player uh, named Ritesh uh, had the pleasure of, of facing Rob Steckley early in this tournament, got absolutely clobbered six love, six love. Uh, But at the same time was, was talking about how Rob was actually having fun with him on the court, almost like giving him some tips, extending rallies and and just like making it a great experience overall, despite the fact uh, that of course the two playing wise were not in the same uh, vicinity of ability, but uh, Rob Steckley it seemed at the time it was still a fun, engaging personality and uh, kind of fascinating to hear that because I didn't know who that was at the time. But uh, I remembered the name, of course, when his uh, coaching career took off.
1: Yeah, and I could totally see him being like that in a match as well in a tournament where for him of that caliber, you know, it would be something he'd almost probably just expect to, to walk in there and win the thing. Right. But I could see him being being sort of kind and having some fun with uh, with his opponents if they were willing to sort of engage with him back in, in that kind of a manner.
0: Exactly. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, he he is a talker, but uh, th- this interview runs 45 minutes. But from listening to it, uh, I, I swear it felt like 10 15 minutes had gone by and we were getting towards the end. So uh, well, I appreciate that, man. I, yeah. thanks, for,
1: uh, thanks for saying so. <laughs> and uh, we
0: should also say that after the interview, we will come back and uh,
1: take a, a quick look at, what Bianca Andreescu has been up to lately as she is uh, self-distancing with her family here in the GTA. And uh, we'll also talk about some of the players that we miss watching you and I uh, right now on the ATP and the WTA tours.
0: Yes, certainly. And I will mention, we will also announce our winner of the E-Zone Yonex racket. Uh, But without further ado, uh, we will listen now to Mike's interview with Canadian coach Rob Steckley.
2: It's a bright sunny day here in Toronto, feels like spring is in the air, and uh, I don't know about you guys, but I'm feeling really positive and energetic at the moment, and part of that has to do with our guest this week on Matchpoint Canada, one of the most upbeat people in tennis. He's a former professional tennis player, coach of some of the top players on the ATP and WTA, and one of the most creative masterminds behind the camera that you'll ever meet. This week we welcome Rod Steckley to the podcast. Rob, how you doing, man?
3: i'm good what a layup let me tell you about that
2: intro was that okay prepare i hey listen i'm gonna go out and
3: i have the best day now after after this so
2: i appreciate that that. usually my co-host uh ben lewis does the intros and uh you know i'm doing it myself because him and me are are socially distancing unfortunately Uh, i'm trying to live up to his sort of expectations so
3: well you did a good job cheers wow i gotta tell you yeah
2: Hey, we've uh, agreed to keep this convo COVID-19 free as there's certainly That's been it. enough of that talk these days. I uh, want to focus on, on tennis and uh, want to start with your evolution as a tennis coach because you've worked with some of the best in the game from Lucy Safarova, Nastya Pavlyachenkova and, of course, Canada's Denis Shapovalov. Uh, tell us about uh, what life is like and how much you love being a professional tennis coach.
3: Well, you know, it's a love-hate. Type of thing and I, 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 I I'm a type of guy that just likes to put everything on the table I'm honest you know and it's one of those things I I challenge any other person out on the tennis tour other than maybe Raphael Nadell um, that would you know say anything different it's it's one of those things you get you get used to love you know you love it then you hate it and then you need to go back and forth and, and I think over the years um, I've definitely come to love it a lot more than when I was confused growing up, um, trying to figure myself out and uh, learn the ropes of traveling and family and and you know putting in the work day in and day out and, and so now I'm I'm starting to really come to terms with the fact that I'm an all all in type of tennis fanatic and I don't have to hide from that but um, you know the tour is something entirely different than staying at home and, and, and going through the day to days. It's, it's, you know, an evolution. It's something that, um, not everybody thrives in. I can, I can say that it took me a while to figure myself out and, and really understand that that's something that I do well. And, and that's something that I thrive in. Even something like this podcast, it's, it's, it's on the fly in the moment. And, and that's something that, you know, I can't prepare for and I, Rather not because I'm way better at it on the fly, and that's something that the tour is good at presenting. You know, problems, and you have to just kind of, you know, come up with your own solutions. And I have my own ways, and, and um, I'm very fortunate that I've figured that out.
2: It's like and any I'm job, I guess. There's to... a there's a learning curve, like any job. I mean, even when I started doing this podcast at first, my, my wife made fun of me. She's like, "You don't even listen to po- you don't even know what podcasts are. How are you gonna <laughs> how are you gonna do this?" and you know, with, with guidance and you rely on people and you make mistakes and you learn from yeah, them. And yeah. I guess it's the same as a coach.
3: Yeah. You know what? I I enjoy your podcast. And I think that, uh, they're extremely informative, educational fun, and there needs to be more of that. And, um, and I'm glad that, uh, you've taken it upon yourself to, uh, be at the forefront of, of the podcast game and, and joining tennis Canada there. And, and, uh, I know that I, I, you know, only speak good things when I hear, uh, that you're coming up with a new podcast, so hopefully I don't fail this one. Well, I
2: appreciate that, man. Hey, you know what? I think we're off to a good start. So uh, how does a coaching partnership uh, start up? Is it players that you've already had a personal relationship with and and knew in some way, shape, or form? Did it require introductions? Was it just good luck in some of those um, coaching relationships you had? What's the sort of startup process uh, when you're looking at that?
3: you know, covered all, all the topics, so next question. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it, I think it's an element of all of that, right? you know, and, and I think that some, you know, I speak for myself when, you know, I say that uh, in certain circumstances I've come across where I've, you know, spent some time getting to know a player, and I'll, I'll you know, maybe I'll give an example. Mm-hmm. Lucy was a friend of mine, you know, from the day I started out on tour with Alex Wozniak, and I actually got them to play doubles together, and that's how that friendship started. She definitely didn't trust me whatsoever <laughs> as a person. Okay. But as time went on, she developed more of a um, a, a respect type thing where she she uh, gave me, I guess, the credit where I was accepted as a coach and not just somebody else that was coming out on tour. And, um, and so that's that, that, you know, that's that friendship unfolding into a player coach relationship that actually did well. And I've had, you know, just recommendations through other people that i have known out on tour. So I think it's, it's just a mix of things where, you know, when you're starting out, you, you try to get your feet wet and, and you try to do as best as possible. But, you know, luckily for me, I've been, um, the type of... I'm an introvert but also extrovert, you know, I like to get to know... I, I've
2: never seen the introvert side of you really come across, i got to well, be honest.
3: There, trust me, it was there many years ago, that's what I was saying when, when I was a young kid trying to figure myself out. I was, I was like a, stuck in between introvert and extrovert and I didn't know how to kind of manage the two, but um, yeah, I just, I got to know everybody out on tour and, and that's one of the qualities that I have is not only... Do I enjoy getting to know people I actually have? um, You know, this knack for trying to figure people out. And that was one of the things that led me to, um, I guess, getting other opportunities out there like uh, we were talking about because, um, to stay alive out on tour and to have a lasting career when you're a contractor and you're not working solely for let's say a federation, um, yeah, I just have to be good at networking, you know, mm-hmm. and, and of course, first and foremost, you have to believe in the product that you're delivering, which is, you know, I, when I w- worked with somebody, I, I, over the years have really understood that that is what I'm good at. And, and then it's just being personable and, and, and um, just putting yourself out there. And, and of course, not being afraid to fail and being okay with, uh, you know, it being your fault every time a player loses and whatnot, just kind of putting that on your shoulders. But, right, right. Um, yes, there, there's a formula that kind of takes place there.
2: Speaking of, of failing, I mean, no coach and player relationship lasts forever. Um, what, what's it like to part ways with someone that you've worked so closely with and, and so hard to help get on the right track? It, I mean, it's got to sting on some level, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, that, that's something that uh, no matter who you are, it, it, it stings. You know, it, it just you develop a friendship. Um, you put everything you have, and I speak for myself again. Um, but I know that I speak for the rest of the coaches out there that you know you put you put your heart on the line, and and, and um, not only is it a you know a, a working uh, relationship, it also becomes into almost like a family type scenario because you really invest everything you have um, into that relationship for it to work, because if it's on any other you know type of scenario or format where um, you might try your best to make it just all about work, it never becomes successful, at least in my case. I mean, yeah. I try to put and invest everything I have into that um, player, and, and that also requires you getting to know their families and their history and just everything. And the better you can do that, um, the more you can help that one person player because the teams are big at that level. So you really have to be a psychologist. And with that comes the emotional connection that you uh, develop. And so when you guys split, we all know that it's nothing personal. However, it becomes, you know, uh, an emotional detachment, like a breakup with anything. and, And whether or not, you know, you make it last longer than it should. Um, I've been in scenarios where I've hated myself or tried to, you know, to cover it up and, and, you know, act all ego-ish and saying, you know, I don't really care, but in deep inside you do. And and so eventually over time, it just kind of heals itself. And, and you know, that, uh, you know, and as time goes on, especially with myself, it's more about, you know, I do everything I can. And then whenever that tie is cut, you know, it is what it is, and, and um, you just learn to get better at dealing with that, I
2: guess. Yeah, it, it can't be easy. I mean, I almost wanted to give you like a virtual hug there for a moment, just thinking of <laughs> previous breakups, you know? Because uh, it yeah. sounds like, it almost sounds like you're I'll talking about you're a relationship long. ending, you know?
3: Hey, Mike, listen, I'm not going to let you slide. Are you going to give that, uh, that uh, little uh, virtual hug? Or all right?
2: right, all right. I'm sending it out. I'm sending it out right now for you.
3: Thank you.
2: Okay, and since you're in Toronto, it shouldn't take long to get there. <laughs> Hey, tell me, what do you miss the most about coaching right now? Is it the, uh, you know, being in in competition? Is it the camaraderie on the road? What what stands out to you as the biggest thing that you, you miss from that? Well,
3: I think it's... I, I, all of these questions are really, I mean, geared towards not just one specific thing. I think that everything, you know, lends itself to the next. And, and you know, for... For the competition side, I, I actually really do miss the pressures of you know what it throws at you and how you problem solve and that and and I think that's how we all um, develop into you know what comes next and we're always searching to get better and whatnot and, and I think that that's one element. But I'll be honest, during that you know process while I'm out there out on the road, I actually question why the heck. I do all of this, you know, because then I got my kids at home right and you don't get to experience that. But then when you're out on the road and that's all I know is, is is being around, you know, your your peers and your friends and working at that pace. And I think that that's what I think, you know, the road dogs, you know, if we want to call it that is is just people that like to travel, experience. Um, Be in a group and, and constantly evolve like that at a certain pace um, Is what we do best so I, I just miss all elements of it But on the same, you know in the same breath. I'm gonna say that it is Refreshing to just stay home and evolve With the family at a different pace if that makes sense So yeah.
2: is it tough you know, to uh, to sometimes come back and, yes, and adjust very. to being like dad again and husband because I know in my family, my dad was a, a commercial airline pilot, so he'd go away for days at a time and then he'd come back and there'd always sort of be that adjustment, you know, where my mom was expecting him to step right back yeah. in and, and the kids were wanting the attention and stuff like that. Um, how difficult is it to go between the two sort of roles there?
3: You know, I that, I think that's probably the, the most current question you could have asked, you know, and, and somebody like myself who, who that was the hardest decision to leave tour and... You know, even when I got back, I was talking about, you know, as a coach and Pavla Chenkova there, and, and, you know, wanting to continue, but making sure that I told myself that I I, want to be at home. And for for other reasons also, you know, I I help and I coach the Cross family, who's Kayla's the up-and-coming Canadian, you know, and Ashton's her brother, and, you know, so that's, you know, another reason, but... um, it's just the hardest thing is saying no to what you know and what, I guess, the, you know, the formula is. And so, you know, I guess what you were talking about with, with your with your dad and coming back and that, that whole dynamic changes once, you know, you come back. And if you're really not sure of what it is that you're doing and being present, and that's what I've learned through being at home and taking those steps is, you know, I was... I wasn't a great dad, even though I'd like to praise and say that I was. I, you know, it's, it's really difficult to come home to something that's naturally kind of in motion, and you disrupt that, and then those problems arise. You think that it's not you, but it really is. And until you go through that process and really slowing everything down um it's a challenge and then the first step that most of us do is just get right back out on the road you know and then problems go away because you're out on the road and 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 it's just happening you know and that's the easiest way but um i found a lot of happiness stopping and getting to try to navigate through that and understand what it is that you know i need to improve on when i come home or when i you know go back out on the road in the next project um, so that I could do all of that and and do the best I can, you know, because I love to win out on the road, but I also want to win at home. So, um, yeah, it's, I guess an evolution of like figuring things out, but it's it's not easy. But in my case, it's it was the hardest thing to say no and break that um, mold, I guess, mm-hmm. and to start something new just for the timing, because you know, let's face it. I think I'll speak for myself again along with probably a lot of the coaches that maybe wouldn't say this, but um, we're all fearful of losing what we've created out on the road. You know, it's that momentum of, you know, getting the next player and and winning and and achieving and everybody saying, you know, you're only as good as your last result and whatnot. And I think that that's what we fall trap of, and that's what I wanted to really break. And I don't think that um, even in my playing days, it was as soon as I win a tournament, I'd be the first one to take a surfing trip, you know? Right. <laughs> it's like, and not because I wanted to go and experience that and not really care about following the trend of, like, always pushing to do the next thing. But now as a you know, a professional, I understand, you know, when you're involved with somebody else's career, and, and that's what's important. So that's why I, when I do a project, it's... Not, I, I, it's physically impossible to go a hundred more than a hundred percent, but I'm going to say 200% because that's the type of person I am as I go all in Yep, and, and I become obsessed. And so, um, yeah. So getting full circles, that's, that's the hardest thing is being involved like that and then taking time just to detach, being okay with, you know, whether it's four or six months, whatever it takes that you're, you know, re-energized, and you want to go back, and then you um, hit the road again. Because so, I think a lot of coaches um, fall victim of that; is they they feel the need to go back right away. You know,
2: sounds, it sounds and, like you've done a pretty good job of self-assessing and realizing you yeah. need a little bit of balance there.
3: Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I mean that that's that's what works for me, and I know that when I do go out. That's what's always given me the ability to create success with every single one of my players is being ready for that moment. Right. Um, But in the past, it's been one of those things where you feel, you know, you've got to work week in, week out, and you don't know the balance of, like, taking a break, and that's the scary thing is you can end up burning yourself out like a lot of players, so... Um, it's just finding the balance.
2: So deep conversations with Rob Steckley here today on the <laughs> on the podcast. Who who knew we were going to go this this route? But I appreciate the uh, the honesty and the, way uh, of the time. yeah for sure. Um, Canadian tennis podcast, uh, tennis Canada podcast. So we've got to ask you, of course, of your uh, relationship uh, coaching Denis Shapovalov as he was making his rise on the ATP tour. What, what's he like as a competitor? Uh, what's he like as a person for our listeners who are big fans of Shapo?
3: Well, Chapo's good I mean there's nothing that I can't say other than he's such a vibrant funny individual you know he's he's got he really has it all you know when I was working with him um, you can see he's got this element of je ne sais quoi you know it's just whatever that sentence is I probably fumbled and destroyed it but no that was pretty he's, good he's just he's just got he's just got something that others don't and and I think that um, you know he, he's he's trying to find himself right now, and 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 a young individual. I think that having success super early is something extremely challenging. Everybody wants it sooner than later, and but the, the earlier it comes, the more challenges that you're faced with. And for him, it's it's he's. We all know. I mean, the guy's got. The biggest game on the planet like he can beat anybody at any given time and he, not only can he do that he can do it on, on the snap of a finger you know he can ace he can drive winners from anywhere he's the flashiest player and i just think that over time he needs to figure himself out you know and that's going to help him
2: off the court you mean
3: yeah just off the court you know i i think you know his strengths also are some of his weaknesses, and I think that that's you know, I, you know, somebody like myself, I I see a lot of myself in him. I see myself and all the players that I've worked with, and I've had the you know the pleasure of working with um, special people. You know, they're they're very high energy um, type, uh, I guess, units that 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 possess a lot of you know upside, but as fast as they go up, they go down. You know, they're they're, they're nowhere near, you know, in the middle. So um, somebody like Dennis is just one of those types of people that he can go up, but he can go down real fast. And, Mm -hmm. And the more he starts to figure himself out and be okay with just being in the middle when he needs to be in the middle, And then when he needs to go up a little bit, he'll go up and just understanding the the flow of his
2: energy. And that's that's part of growing up too, because I mean, like you said, he had success at such a young age there, that run in Montreal in 2017, which it's hard to believe that's already almost three years ago. And I think to myself, when I was like 18, 19, 20, just as a person, not that I was a great tennis player, but finding consistency even as a person at that age is so difficult to do. And yet here we are, you know, media members and tennis fans who almost... Expect that he's going to take that next step so soon and and become a Grand Slam champion Well, it's a little bit more difficult for than that unless you're a, a Rafa Nadal or someone like that, right?
3: Yeah I mean, they, see, it's, it's just uh, it's at your own pace, you know, and it, it's figuring yourself out and, and and Dennis and whatever his circumstances are and, and you know, it's like we all have a past so whatever that past is whatever you know he you know when he was six and eight and 12 grew up with and hearing and being around it has an influence on and an impact a direct impact on what he, his beliefs are right and then who's to say that you know you know the new face of of uh you know youth right now and, and everything that's going on with cell phones and technology and you know i didn't experience any of you know the uh you know, the Instagrams and everything, but I mean, that's a different generation. So yeah.
2: Thank God we didn't thinks, have to grow up with that, right?
3: Yeah, I mean, thank God, but not thank God, because I, I'm, I'm on the cusp of, like, I love that stuff, but I also understand where it can, you know, derail... Overwhelm. You know, thought processes and, and patterns and beliefs, and, and so I think in a lot of people, I'm not talking for Dennis, but this is, like, in a whole in society is like if you have any type of success it makes it harder because um you know you get that instant gratification rather than back in the day 10 15 years ago when you go back with roger and everything unless you were number one you're not number one you know that so so with now you know with, with today's society you can find that feeling of feeling that that self-worth a lot quicker i guess and and so you know, there's there's a different element that uh, everybody has to play with now, and, and figure, and that's why I think that's why you don't see players yet shooting through, and and I don't think that people should be so hard on people, and we'll speak for Dennis. You know, it's like all that pressure of like, why is he number one? It's not the same time. You know, it's like he's got the ability. Let him figure it out. When he figures it out, I, I'm gonna put my. You know my uh, cred's on the line, and say that uh, he will at some point, And when he does, it erases everything that uh, he didn't accomplish in the past, as quick as people are saying. So, you know, it's interesting to see what happens and how everything unfolds.
2: I want to I talk. Uh, I want to talk a little <laughs> bit about your uh, career as a player. Um, what what would Rob Steckley, the coach, say to Rob Steckley, the the tennis player? And wouldn't that be a fun conversation to watch?
3: It is a fun conversation. You don't think that I don't go for long runs and walks every day in the gym (laughs) and think about that myself. I I think that's where my direction as a coach now comes from because I've gone through so much in in my career, whether it's up and down. And um, it's just, you know, it's one of those things where the player has to figure themselves out and you know, if I was looking back at the past, I saw somebody that had a lot of interest in many different things, and there wasn't the right type of, um, I guess, teamwork around that individual that had a lot of energy going all over the place. Like, wait, it's not—it it was considered wasted energy. However, it's—I'm still trying to figure this out for when I meet that next player, too, and, and I see myself in that. It's like you have other interests, you know, how I do the videos, and, and the list goes on because I've played in bands, and I'm a Windsor for escape. But like, it's like the list goes on, but when you're trying to figure yourself out as a tennis player at a young age, how do you tell somebody that you, they're not supposed to do any of those interests? And it's wasting time, but what is wasting time in somebody's eyes? when they're 16 when all oh, they want to do is snowboard but they also want to play tennis.
2: So for you did you, you find know? there was a lot of being pulled in different directions while you were a yeah. tennis player?
3: Yeah, I was just I was in, I guess there's a lot of unique types of people and I think that's why people nowadays consider myself, you know, special or, or whatever that category. you know, when you intro'd me and it's like there's it's not every day that we get to speak to somebody like that. I think that everybody you know, is on the same page. It's just, um, at a young age, I just, and even still nowadays, like I, I refuse to do only just what I love to do. So if it's tennis and then it's incorporated with videos and one day I want to take off and do this, I make sure that I do it, but I also understand that I, I do it. Completely focused and dialed in. So now I understand the formula of how it works. So you can get it all done. If that makes sense. Yeah, of course. And and, and, and that's where I was. I was misled, uh, you know, a little bit when I was I was youth because really, I mean, my parents only knew what they knew. They and they didn't come from a sports background, but they pushed me hard, and that's what I value. There wasn't a day that they didn't get me up and. You know, push me to do what I was doing, but the direction of how it was going, and then the people around who didn't understand how to operate and facilitate that type of energy um, is what I lacked. And so I heard a lot of, you're, you know, you're not serious enough today, right? Mm -hmm. Even though if I saw that, and that's what I, I find is one of my strengths is when I see a player and I'll speak for Dennis is like he's actually trying too hard <laughs> you know a lot it and, and I'm like you're wasting too much energy because you're going too hard and it's driving you to the point where um, you're wasting a lot of energy and so that's what I would talk to him about because I relate to that and it's who you trying to work those extra you know mistakes for you know it's like if it doesn't go in who cares right
2: on to the next you're one out of here.
3: On to the next one. That's it. And so that's what we were trying to channel. And so, you know, when I was working with him, it's trying to slow his process down a little bit so we can find the sweet spot. So when he really understands what it is that he's doing and that sweet spot in the middle, then he can fine tune going up or down. But if you don't and it's just constant revving and then coming down which i did a lot you find success and yes you win some tournaments and then you disappear and then it's like you get lost in this confusion of what it is you're doing and it's harder to um stay in love with what you're doing right because there's a lot of people around you telling you so many different things and then over time you get used to uh what it is that you do best, and what you want, and that's
2: it. Well, I've got to say, I only caught uh, any of your matches once um, back in the day, and I came away from it feeling really impressed. This was before I was anything involved in tennis media, and I was just a spectator, a tennis lover, just enjoying it. Uh, You you want to take a guess at which match I I caught? (laughs) Um,
3: I don't know. uh, Roger's Cup? Montreal,
2: Rogers Cup, Montreal. That was it. Yeah, yeah was two, it? Okay, two...
3: that's, you know what, Mike? That's actually that's when I caught control of what I was that I was doing. Mm-hmm. That was like on my. I disappeared. I quit tennis for two years prior to that. Nobody okay. really knows, but like I, I dropped out of university. I didn't want to play at all. I didn't do anything. And when I came back, I ended up winning NCAA's. I was. A, I didn't play tennis for two years. Didn't do anything. When I started playing tennis, I was. Doing better than when I was actually training every day and had all the momentum. Isn't it
2: funny how you hear that so often from players? Yeah.
3: It's it's crazy. But, you know, back, you know, and I speak for 10 years ago, 12, whatever it was, um, I'm proud to see the progress of what Tennis Canada and, and everybody has done in, in the nation because we've, we've upped the the, the finances and, and you know, the, the ability to help, you know, with, like, programming like Tennis Canada has, mm-hmm. the structure of everything, um, and bringing in, you know, coaches from abroad. And, and that was something not... Um, that wasn't possible and that wasn't available for somebody like myself. So when I was going through the, the ranks at the end, when I finally... And this is, this is... I don't know if I've ever explained this, but when I was... Um, going through that process at the very end, I was actually a better player, but I had, of course, you know, age on my side. So I was, you know, a little bit older, more wear and tear, and people started to see the progress in my game very quick. But we just had no funding, and then eventually, you know, it was one of those scenarios where I had nowhere to go, and it was just one of those things where I felt felt it was necessary to go into the coaching part of it because I actually had more enjoyment doing that as opposed to competing because I felt it had more longevity and that's more or less the direction of where I was heading Um, but that match was one of those types of matches where if I had another two years but age on my side I would have 100% enjoyed focusing 100% on tennis if that makes sense like there was no other distractions I actually only wanted to do tennis at that point in my life and I understood that I'm going to put the drumming and all that stuff on the side and I'm just gonna make a run with the tennis but not to actually accomplish anything other than just what I should have done and all the mistakes I made in
2: the past. Well, that match, I have to tell you, and, and for those who, you know, this was 2005 Rogers Cup in Montreal, and it was a night match, I believe, on the yeah. grandstand court, or whatever they call it there in Montreal. And, uh, y- you know, there were three players that I took away from that Rogers Cup that that impressed me, and that I was excited to really, really watch and and focus on. One was obviously Andre Agassi, who was at the tail end of his illustrious career. But still playing some fantastic ball that summer. Yeah. He, I mean, he made the U.S. Open final a few weeks later. Um, the other was Rafa Nadal, who was on the other end of his career as just a 19-year-old that at the time people were wondering if this Spaniard who'd won the, the you know French Open could transition that to hard court. Yeah. Uh, but then I was so impressed with your match against, I believe it was Kenneth Carlson. who Kenneth, was.
3: Yeah. Kenneth Carlson.
2: He'd been around for some time, but he was a top fifty kind of guy, he and was a
3: top fifty kind of guy, yeah. And yeah. and
2: you played him so hard in that match. I think you took the first set. It went three sets. It was quite a long match.
3: I was. I remember. Uh, I remember that. I mean, not point by point, but overall. I remember. You know, and and you, it's funny. Is you analyze stuff when you're coaching other players and scenarios, and that was one of the scenarios where I felt i actually used in my coaching um and that's that, that was you know what i took from that is is the moment when you're you don't really realize that he is so fearful of actually playing you but you're thinking not to disappoint and hopefully you can write this out because it's really good for your career and i've finally caught interest in like really putting 100% focus in my tennis. And so I put more pressure on myself. And when you look back, and I've used this, I can tell you, you know, all the time with all those types of experiences, is, you know, firsthand telling players, you know, and I've used it with Lucy when she was doing extremely well. When you get to that, and I was up a break. I was up a break in the third, and, and I had, quote-unquote, the match, but I remember my thought process in the third set playing not to lose, like holding on mm. because now I had the break and, and one of those types of players that I have the experience. And I and, and so what I've done with my coaching career is find, I, I find that feeling that I can really express to whichever player I'm using or coaching at the time and I can really hit home with the experiences of what it is that I was – you know, fearful of or what was working, and um, and that was one of the matches that I remember thinking to myself that uh, you just gotta pull through this match. This is the one that you know it'll make up for all those idiotic times you you weren't paying attention, and you know, and it's just like, <laughs> yeah. So, anyways, it made me a better coach.
2: Yeah. Well, we enjoyed the match, and I mean, back then, like you said, there wasn't as much funding. There weren't as many Canadian players having success on the singles side of things. Um, look at how much things have exploded, particularly in the last 12 to 24 months, of course. As someone who's so good at marketing the players that he's coached and, and marketing musicians and the, the, the videos that you do for them as well that you produce and put together, what would you suggest You know, we should do here in Canada, whether it's the Networks or Tennis Canada, to help market these exciting young players? Because we've got such great personalities between Dennis, yeah. Felix, Bianca, What are some things that you would do if you were in control of sort of, you know, sharing this with the Canadian population to help put tennis in a spot where it's a little bit more prominent, maybe?
3: Well, I mean, first and foremost, we would have to figure out, you know, who that type of player is. We need more marketing. So, you know, I I don't think that there's a a sense of, like, freedom of expression with players. I think players are, are, are... kind of reserved in a sense when when they actually would like to do more than they they are they're sticking
2: um, to their script too much
3: yeah they're sticking to the script and whatever is being written for them and, and and I have experienced you know firsthand with players that are extremely famous that are older and the new generation of players that are coming up and I can see the difference the ones that you're trying to get to know there's a script being written and they're, they want to be a person that they just want to be but they're being told and, and so it's structured and so that limits I mean obviously the rest of the world to get to know who they really are um, and, and, and it limits them as a personality because you know they I guess aren't being the person that they really are um, and I guess there's good reason for that at times whatever but Um, but I do know that, um, on, on all fronts, you know, whether it's networks, you know, TSN, uh, Rogers got a, no, it was TSN that got the the contract. I think recently I was Mark Masters. Um, and you know, being able to put tennis on a consistent basis out on, on, on TV is, you know, crazy important because uh for the people that follow tennis great they might know most players but for the rest of them and i was just actually funny story i was just with um a really well-known hip-hop director and we're planning the next shoot and he's worked with countless number of artists and uh, i have the privilege of working on the next project with him. and i was talking because he was picking my brain about tennis and um I just throw out a name. I, maybe if you heard of him, Roger Federer, <laughs> and he had no idea who he was. Oh my God! And he's in the entertainment business. He right. Doesn't know. So, you know, that's you know that and that made me think. You know how crazy it is for somebody like that not to know who Roger Federer is, the most important tennis player on the planet. Um, and for the rest of the world, you know, and especially Canadians, we just need to do a better job of. What we did with Tennis Canada, finding funding and making sure that tennis is on TV, in your face, and then taking a different approach um, and giving the real day to days, you know, because I don't think, you know, um, the, the old format works with, you know, the simple answers like, yes, I work hard and I sweat every day and I, you know, like we get it. You know, but what is the real story behind all of these people that are going through the day-to-days, you know, the BTS and everything? And I think that somehow within that formula, everybody has to find a new rhythm of, like, exposing it. And that's what Instagram is there for, right? Yep. Um, but, like, even TV, like, the, the broad, you know, the, you know, being televised and stuff, like, there has to be more of that. And, and that's what I'm, you know, happy at doing. And um, I'm thankful for being able to have found my path through tennis and film. And I merged the two together. Well, I was going
2: to say, I was going to suggest they should just get you at the helm because uh, some of your videos introducing us to your players are just so epic. I mean, I I know who Nastya Pavlychenkova is as a tennis player, but for you to start to show the personable side, the the emotional side, and that, that one video you did where... You know she's on the court preparing for the U.S. Open, and meanwhile you're going through all these like village people costume changes on the side. <laughs> but it really showed a side of her. I knew that side of you existed, but it really right. showed that side of the player you were coaching that uh, most people probably were totally unaware existed.
3: Yeah, I mean that's the funny thing. And then but then there's a fine line, and that's where I think I'm not afraid to cross it because with that comes. Um, you know, the ability to be judged if the player doesn't do well. And so they immediately assume that, you know, somebody needs to be putting in more work or more focus when the reality of the situation is in a scenario like that is, you know, we have two days off. What are you going to do with the player that actually loves to do that type of stuff um, to keep them entertained and preoccupied? but the fact that they're not at home and because these are the challenges of keeping players interested out on tour is unless you're at the very top, you know, like these Roger Federer's Nadell's and Serena's, you know, you have unlimited funds Mm -hmm. and traveling with family and whatnot. There's the little every day to day things that, you know, get in the way. And and that's a lot of, you know, uh, downtime is one of the, big things that, I guess, confuse players and get in the way because um, they get bored you and can't, they start missing home. You can't
2: train they, 24-7. You can't be a robot. You've got to enjoy sure. what you do, too, and find ways to have fun.
3: And, yeah, and so that's, I think, where, you know, there's, there's a fine line because you have fans that are fans, but they're not really coming from the educated part of like understanding how stressful and crazy the world is. So, you know, you can't put 24 hours a day out on the tennis court, you know, and rest assured if you're on the pro tour working with a pro coach, the first and foremost, you know, project is, you know, working hard focused. How do we get better? Right. Mm -hmm. The second part is how do we do that? And then, you know the layers keep going, and so for my coaching style, I find that working with players, and, and believe me when I tell you, I'm not the one that's actually uh, telling them to do any of the things that they want to do, because if you put that on a player and it backfires, and it was wasn't if it was your idea, you're fired. <laughs> you know, right? So that's always the tricky part is like finding, you know ways to implement that without confusing and and so i've been fortunate because i always have had the pleasure of working with players that um have an interest and and i think that that's i guess me being me for so many years and then getting to a point where i can actually produce um really solid quality content that that is being shared and bought and and you know, the interests of um, networks and whatnot. So it's not just a random video. Mm -hmm. If that makes any sense. No,
2: totally. And, and speaking of solid quality content, I want to thank you for the uh, quality content you've given us today on the podcast and um, dude, and I've never called anyone dude on the podcast before, but (laughs) dude, thank you for joining me.
3: Hey, 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 listen, Mike, honestly, anytime I enjoyed that, I was, I was uh, getting a, you know, a little COVID-19, off my chest <laughs> yeah.
2: it's so important yeah. to
3: hey listen you know what I'll, I'll be honest this is and this is an open conversation yeah this is what i'm talking about i like doing things like this because on a day-to-day when you get asked questions when you know i i'm on tour and i go back on tour you know there isn't room to play like this it's always the same questions that you get asked and the same type of answers and you have a time slot that's super short and so you just go with the generic answers well
2: you know? I hope I didn't disappoint you with the variety of questions
3: I, I enjoyed trust me I enjoyed that dude. And,
2: <laughs> and and me as well uh, you know yeah. it's it's nice to get a little bit of variety from the routine over these past couple that's weeks it. and that's this it. is certainly scratching that itch uh, look when we get back to normal we're looking forward to seeing what you do next whether it's coaching whether it's I have, commentating
3: I have I have a mix of things that's in the the, the, the the bag there that nobody knows about but yes i will you will be seen or, or let this covet 19 settle and and will be the, the resurrection
2: and if yeah. you ever want to lend your creative talents to a certain canadian podcast looking for ways to market and grow we're always looking for feedback
3: yeah, amazing I'm, I'm game all right so consider it done all right
2: cheers man you take care yeah you
0: too there you have it canadian tennis coach rob steckley and mike it it feels like the camaraderie you, you already built in those 45 minutes like it feels like if this wasn't going on you guys could easily go and grab a beer together
1: i would absolutely love it i think of all the people to go out and and grab a beverage with uh you know regardless of what kind of beverage that is uh rob would be super fun and super chill to go do that with and uh I mean, at the end of the, the conversation, I called him dude, and it just kind of came out because <laughs> it, just, it just felt like the natural thing to sort of say, and it certainly fits his sort of, you know, overall image. Uh, I mean, talk about a guy with tons of interests outside of tennis, and we barely even scratched the surface of those. But he did certainly allude to back during his own playing career, uh, it was tough to focus 100% on the tennis Because there's so many things that he was involved in and enjoyed doing, and he didn't want to limit himself.
0: Yeah, um, and I I think that was covered very well, like right from the get-go. His honesty about everything that that a lot of players don't really make this admission, but his admission that really like everyone and their dog, perhaps besides a Rafael Nadal, has those moments where they aren't in love with the sport. And and it's not really about the sport tennis itself, but just like that grind of day after day, just life on tour, the constant traveling that you are going to have moments of frustration and moments where you're like why am i putting myself through this uh and i guess recognizing how to deal with that and and adapting and obviously as you, you get older you get wiser to it and uh it seems like that element kind of makes him a very good coach because he seems to know how people just kind of click and and tick uh, he, he seems to just have a very good read on how people operate
1: yeah, his observations were, were spot on and talking about that love-hate relationship that he even had, uh, you know, as a coach. And it's something that we can all relate to in, in whatever job we have. I mean, how many people do you know that are just sunshine and rainbows every day right. and having a blast at their job 24-7? So. For most of us, whether you're an athlete or you're, you know, working the grind of a nine to five or whatever kind of job you have, you're going to have those moments, those ups and downs, those swings. And, uh, you know, many people might think, oh, professional athlete, professional coach must be great. But, uh, yeah, Rob sort of called it as, as it was and said, no, it's not always that way. And, and then when he comes back from coaching, trying to flip back into the role of husband and father and, and he said, you know, you're disrupting the flow of something back at home mm-hmm. that's already in motion. And it doesn't just stop and start at your convenience, basically. So I just really love the, uh, the raw honesty of his, um, of his conversation with me and looking back on his playing days and uh, some of his limitations and roadblocks there. Uh, obviously, the match that I saw, which was at the Rogers Cup in '05, which was his one, I believe, main draw Rogers Cup appearance, and he was playing great in that match. And as he mentioned, he was even up a break in the third set against Kenneth Carlson, a much more experienced uh, opponent and an opponent that was, you know, uh, also admittedly much higher ranked than Rob was. Mm-hmm. And just I loved how he talked about his thought process and how he could remember, even though it's 15 years ago almost, he could remember what was going on in his mind and how he was uh, sort of overthinking that moment rather than just going out there and uh and and playing uh playing to win rather than playing it safe
0: yeah impressed uh, that he was able to to immediately figure out which which match you were talking <laughs> about and uh yeah sort of as you alluded to I, I think uh, rob seems to be someone who has tremendous self-awareness and I, I think kind of on a larger scale hits on how much different coaching is in tennis in that one-on-one personal relationship uh comparatively to a team like if you're a head coach of a hockey team or a basketball team I think that is Much, much different because when you're on the road with just one athlete like this, you are really developing a relationship on a very personal level. Like I I understand head head coaches. Yeah, like head coaches will they'll get to know players, but they're not really going to get to know them that deeply. It's impossible.
1: Yeah, you keep them at an arm's length if you're the coach of a, of a, a whole team, maybe so you don't want to look like you're playing favorites. Right. Or it's just a different sort of, yeah, relationship and dynamic. But if you're not forming a relationship with the player you're coaching uh, as a, as a tennis coach, then you're probably doing something wrong because you're day in, day out with that person. How can you not grow and learn and share and come to really care about how they're doing, not just on the tennis court, but as a person as well? And as Rob mentioned, for him, it was like either you're all in or or he wouldn't do it. And uh, when you look at the players that he's coached and and had success with um, from Lucy Safarova, I mean, that was a very long partnership between the two of them and, uh, you know, French Open final Uh, a few years back, uh, as well as uh, Pavlyuchenkova helped her uh, really make some progress in the short time they were together, Denis Shapovalov as well, helping him uh, sort of navigate the, the maturing process and growing up process on the road. And with all three of them, it was clear, it was evident that they had a great working relationship and a great partnership and a great social relationship. And we're going to have to sort of tee up some of those videos that he's made with those players this week, yeah. uh, not just to promote the podcast this week, but just because they're super fun to watch. Um, and I only just briefly got to sort of touch on that with him, but he's made some killer videos that highlight just how comfortable his athletes are with him
0: Mm -hmm. well uh, look it's a a cliche in in the big four sports of head coaches being called a player's coach and you certainly have to be a player's coach on the tennis level I think he just knows how to relate to his players on a personal level and and just be really funny and engaging and kind of lighten the mood because uh, it can be really physically probably mentally draining uh, being a tennis athlete day after day kind of you know, putting in that hard work, and uh, very interesting words on Dennis Shapovalov. Obviously, incredibly comp- complimentary. Calls him like a vibrant, funny guy, and pointed out like all the talent in the world to, to beat anybody he feels and uh, just how Dennis kind of has to find that perfect middle ground uh, and sort of understand when he has to hone it in a bit, when he has to, you know, not waste energy. And uh, I I think he used the words understanding the flow of his energy. And uh, Rob seemed to feel that was a lot to do with Dennis's age and development.
1: Yeah. He summed it up perfectly. And, uh, and as he said, the biggest game on the planet and it's hard to argue that when Dennis is out there and all things are clicking and he's, and he's really firing. He's yeah. got such an entertaining, exciting game to watch. And uh, absolutely, I think with some maturity and a little bit more experience, he's going to find the right mix of, hey, when do I need to go for it? When can I extend this rally? And, and you know, not give my opponent the same look each time, mix it up a little bit. And uh, he's going to come into his own, I think. And, and Rob also felt very much conf- confident sorry, that that would be the case.
0: Yeah, certainly. And uh, look, Denis Shapovalov, I I think, does have to minimize the highs and lows. We've we've talked uh, about the highs that we saw a tail end of 2019 and then we saw a few more low points in in 2020 where he kind of gets down on himself and and frustrated. Uh, I think we're going to see more highs than not. And Rob really uh, laying his reputation on the line, really convinced that Shapovalov Mm -hmm. uh, can can become a future world number one.
1: Yeah, I'm uh, anxious to see uh, how Dennis and and our other young Canadians do when we get back to to business. And I'm also excited to see where Rob Steckley lands next, as he will undoubtedly get another coaching opportunity. Now, if he wants to pursue that, uh, again, get back out on the road or not, that'll be for him to decide. But Mm -hmm. I think if you're a a fan of a particular player and you hear that that player is suddenly teamed with Rob Steckley, you would probably be super excited because – not only is the player going to get some great coaching about their tennis game, but you're going to see some fun stuff from that player off the court with their social media and other things as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, certainly and uh, Rob, obviously with uh, Anastasia Pavluchenkova, they made uh, some awesome video, hilarious video content at the US Open on, uh, as he pointed out, days off like how can we use these days off to sort of have some fun and maybe there is a pressure in doing that. If if he does that and then pa- Pavluchenkova plays poorly Are people going to think, well, she was wasting time goofing off on social media when that's not really the reality. Uh, But as Rob pointed out, it's something that the player herself wanted to do. He's never like pressuring and and pushing on something uh, towards a player that they're not comfortable doing. And uh, Pavlochenkova, by the way, I should just mention has honestly had great results like tail end of 2019. She had two finals, one in Japan and one at the Kremlin Cup and then was uh, in the quarterfinals at the Australian Open just earlier this year.
1: Yeah, and someone who had so much talent as a, as a youngster, as a junior as well, and has kind of spent you know the bulk of her uh, professional career probably not feeling like she's quite living up to uh, the hype that, that she set for herself when she was younger. So it's great to see her in her late 20s, uh, still out there, still trying to improve and having some great results and, uh, and being more than capable of getting her ranking up there and proving that she's still someone to contend with.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You are listening to Matchpoint Canada. You can find us on Twitter at MatchpointCan, at MatchpointCanada on Instagram. or the official podcast of Tennis Canada and members of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And uh, look, while players aren't competing actively on the tour right now with it on pause, Bianca Andreescu did do a catch up uh, with fans on Instagram live through Tennis Canada. And Mike, I know you had a chance to, to check in and, and hear from Bianca and just get a sense of how she's doing.
1: Yeah, I saw that she was taking over the Tennis Canada uh, Instagram feed today uh, and uh, and doing that Instagram live chat uh, through Tennis Canada. And uh, she was doing it on her mom's phone, she said. And uh, so just, just talking about, I mean, the thing that, that I, I noticed right away was how close she was to coming back and playing when uh, the hiatus from, from tennis has uh, has just unfortunately kicked in. She said she was hoping to come back and, and felt like she was going to give it a go in Miami. So we were so, so close to seeing Bianca back on the court after several months dealing with that knee injury. So uh, among all the disappointment we're feeling for many reasons right now that we're missing out on professional sports, that was just another one where we felt uh, a little bit of regret that we couldn't see her back, unfortunately, before this hiatus. Um, you know she's talking about uh, what she's going on and and doing at home with the training and trying to stick with the diet and eating well and being healthy and and she mentioned staying away from the pizza which is her uh, number one favorite food but uh, yeah it was just kind of cool to see her interacting with fans and letting her guard down a little bit as as players seem to do any player that's doing an Instagram live is 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 obviously willing to let their guard down and show a little bit of themselves so uh, some fun interactions with Bianca and a couple of Canadian players during that conversation too. Uh, Carol Zhao chimed in and, and asked who would win in an arm wrestle competition between the two of them. <laughs> and uh, not that I want to doubt Carol's strength, but uh, I think that might be a bit of a challenge for, for the former number one Canadian-ranked player, as Carol was a few years ago. Yep. And uh, Carson Brandstein also um, uh, popped by and actually joined in and went live with Bianca for a moment uh, those two clearly so close, winning uh, a couple of junior Grand Slam doubles titles together and uh, and really good friends as well away from the tennis court. So uh, uh, looking forward to seeing those two one day. Who knows when that'll be as Carson's uh, gone the college route for now. But it'd be cool to see them back on the court because uh, they have so much fun together, both on and, and off of it.
0: Yeah. They certainly uh, click and gel really well. And uh, Carson Brandstein has has been a guest in the past. And uh, I also know y- you had the opportunity to chat with her as well.
1: Yeah. We spoke last week. I'm writing an article for Ontario tennis right now about uh, some of our pros that have connections to Ontario. Carson's is a bit loose as uh, her connection is her mom was born in Toronto. But uh, nonetheless, bringing people up to speed with what she's doing. And um, yeah, we're going to use some of that uh, interview on an upcoming, uh, actually, I think next week's uh, episode of Match Point Canada. So uh, that'll be cool to do. And like you mentioned, Carson's uh, popped in and and chatted with us at various times over the last couple of years, even before we were officially uh, Match Point Canada. So it'll be great to have her back on the line uh, once again.
0: Yeah, certainly. Uh, Now, This is a different subject, but I I posed this question on on my Twitter account. Uh, Which player do you miss watching the most? And I had pretty good response uh, from everybody chiming in uh, on their favorite players. So I I wanted to ask you, uh, like non-Canadian answers, because we want to avoid any any bias. Uh, It it feels like it's been a lot longer without tennis, but now we've missed Indian Wells and Miami. Uh, The Sunshine Double is gone. Which players are you missing the most just, just getting to watch uh, male and female?
1: Ben, I miss live tennis so much that I'd be willing right now to watch and I'd get excited about a John Isner-Riley-Opelka match. Okay, that's, <laughs> sure, why that's not? How much, that's how much I miss tennis. Yeah. But If I had to pick a few, and it goes without saying that both of us would love to see the Canadians back out there. I mean, yes. for me personally, in terms of Canadian content, I'd love to see the progress that players like Sharon Fishman, who we had on last week, and Vashik Pospisil were making. Uh, so I'd really like to see them continue that and carry that momentum forward. Um, anxiousness to see Bianca back on the court as well. Uh, but if I was to pick a couple of non-Canadians, then on the ATP side, uh, I want to go with Dominic Thiem because I was really looking forward to seeing his follow-up to Indian Wells from last year where he defeated... Wait, that was Indian Wells, correct? Yep. Okay, sorry, no,
0: no, no, sorry. he uh, No, he won the Miami Open.
1: Yeah, see, I always get the two of them mixed up. Oh, no, that's so okay, I that's okay. I know Federer was in both finals, I just couldn't remember. Anyways, so team who won one of the Sunshine Doubles, I should just say that, that way I can't go wrong. <laughs> yep. And I want to see how he'd follow that up this Correct. year on the hard courts. And of course with the clay swing, uh, which he's had enormous success in the past few years, and wanting to see if he could take it one step further at Roland Garros. Uh, which we may still get to see in October, I guess, mm-hmm. as things stand. Um, but Dominic team was one that I was uh, very interested to, to see him progress this uh, this part of the season. And on the women's side, uh, Marquetta Vondruzova, who made a run to the French Open Finals last year as a 19-year-old, which was really great to watch, but she had been derailed by injury since that point and had kind of a tough start getting back into the swing of things in 2020. But there's a player that I thought, hey, maybe when she gets back on the clay, Things will start clicking as well, and uh, and so much talent there uh, from the uh, the young Czech players. So those are two that I would have really enjoyed watching, I guess, at this point of the year.
0: No, that, that's fair, and, and I had actually written down Dominic team, but I'll go a different route now, just, just to be a little bit different, and, and say Andre Rublev, because he started out 2020 with such a bang, uh, going 14-0 in his first 14 matches of the year, and winning back-to-back titles, uh, first Doha, and then winning the Adelaide International, and, and it just feels like he's developing into this super-power hardcore threat, so it would have been great to watch him uh, compete in the Sun- Sunshine double see what he could do and, and just see how his season is progressing because he's getting better and better that would have been my choice on the men's side and then women's side a uh, young teenager who's a bit of a phenom she's obviously not bianca level uh but diana Yastremska has uh, been making major strides over the past uh several months and uh still just 19 years old and and inside the top 25 and uh she made her first premier final at the start of this year in adelaide i, I think think she has a really bright future ahead hits the ball so hard uh and that
1: and that coaching partnership with Sasha Bajan and he usually has you know immediate results Things usually click pretty quickly with him and his uh, and his charges so yeah it would have been cool to see how the two of them I mean they seem like they were connecting pretty good off court just from some social uh media posts and things like that but um I I would have loved to see that partnership sort of uh, yield some results
0: yeah definitely uh now i'm sure it will yield results when we do return to tennis we we don't know when that will be but as i said before we got on air tonight uh keeping this week to like a coronavirus free episode it's just like nonstop consumption through the week that this can be your break from it we don't need to talk about it all the time
1: and you know what we're not running out of things to say and we're certainly not running out of people to talk to i've actually been really impressed with Just how it seems almost like business as usual for our podcast, because we are continuing to put these out. And, you know, for those listening, like we're not struggling with coming up with ideas, nor with having really engaging people to talk with. So uh, this week, Rob Steckley. Next week, Ben, who have we got on for next week?
0: Well, we have Carson Brandstein, as uh, you had an opportunity to speak with. And then we also have uh, Ken Crozina, who is one of the tennis directors, uh, the tennis director, rather, for the Mayfair clubs in the greater Toronto area. And uh, he was a great interview and and has some good tips, by the way, just for tennis players on how you can stay active during this time when we can't actually get out on a tennis court, which I think is so important.
1: And for people in Toronto, you will immediately recognize Ken's voice because he is also the MC and the voice of the Rogers Cup every summer here in Toronto. He's been doing that for many, many years. And so he's got, I think, some really cool stories because he's got access to the players. He's done some fun uh, video spots with the players, driving them from the hotel to the venue as well. Um, I'm I'm looking forward to listening to that one. I know you got to uh, speak with him recently, so... uh, yeah, next week should be fun as
0: well. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And uh, before we go, uh, we hyped it up for a good four weeks, and we do have a winner of the new uh, Yonex 98, Zone 98 racket, and it's already been shipped out because uh, Yonex was all over this, but congratulations to Dario from Edmonton, Alberta, who, of course, entered our racket contest on Instagram, and now he has himself a brand-new Yonex Ezone 98 racket, which uh, is heading to his door right now. So congratulations. to Dario
1: there you go wasn't it Leon one of our listeners last week who said hey don't forget about Western Canada well there you go we're sending (laughs) a racket
0: out west exactly uh so that's that's perfect and uh we look to form more partnerships in the future with Yonex as as well and we thank them for that racket contest and we thank you guys for staying with us though we don't have live tennis as uh, Mike mentioned still plenty to talk talk about here at Matchpoint Canada thanks for tuning in we will talk to you next time
3: To lie alone in your bed When you know this is forever Low like the sun